Welcome to the jungle, the Auburn men's basketball podcast. Seven-footer Kessler with the screen, gets it back, goes right down the lane. Auburn men, talking Auburn men's basketball. Katie Johnson over Gibson. No frills, no gimmicks, just ball. Jamari Smith left wide open. Here's your host, Matt Donaldson and Jackson Garrett. All right, we got another great treat on. We got Anthony McLemore on the on the podcast. Uh, you know, Final Four. Yeah, went to the Final Four with that team. Won an SEC tournament. Uh, if you're looking at some of the record books, third all time or third. Let's see, that's all time career wise in blocks with 187 only. Mama Dew and Kyle Davis are above him. Fifth, tied for fifth for the most in a season was 73. And that was the season where Anthony got hurt and he missed the last six or seven games. And he still ended up fifth all time on the on the season with blocks. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, soon to be soon to be fourth all time with the pace that Walker's <laughs> on right now. <laughs> we were we were going to ask you to start off uh, if you've been watching this team. Yeah, we wanted to hear some of the comparisons, what you think about all this craziness. No, I've definitely been watching the team. You know, they're a lot of fun. They're very electric, high energy, high flying. Uh, you know, initially, some of my thoughts on the team is that uh, they, they seem to have a great core of good people on the team. So it's always good to see teams that are having fun playing rather than teams that's trying to win basketball games. And you just watch them play. You just know those guys are in tune with each other and just out there having fun playing. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, go back to high school. Uh, you know, there are certain things Auburn fans grow tired of. We just hear all the time on TV from different announcers that come in and do the games. You might have been football. Jarrett Stidham was from Texas and <laughs> all these facts. Yours was always that you were accepted to MIT and you had all these Ivy League offers. Just give the fans a little bit uh, about how you ended up at Auburn and what that process was like for you. Yeah, a funny story about that was that uh, when we made it to uh, our postseason run, uh, CBS asked me about the MIT thing, and I and I told him I was like that that never happened. I don't know how that started. Like I'm, I've never even applied to MIT or got accepted there. But uh, it's not real you know, at all. It wasn't what? real at all. <laughs> no, whenever anyone asked me, they were because a couple of Auburn professors would ask me in class. They're like, they he got accepted. I was like, no, no, I I never applied. You can't, you know, you can't get accepted somewhere you never applied to. But I did get offered from Ivy League schools. That was that part was true. But whenever anybody asked me about MIT, I was no, I, I, I don't know where it started at. But uh, we're, but we were doing some investigative journalism here. We we're getting the scoops <laughs> that never happened. Yeah, no. Whenever anyone asked me about, it, I just I just tell them that that never happened. I guess you know one person said it, and I, I even told Rod one day. I was like, Rod, I never I never applied to MIT. I don't know, like, why do you keep saying that? But um, where'd you apply to? Where where where'd you apply to? I applied to Auburn, and the only reason why I applied to Auburn was because they offered me a scholarship. That's the only okay. college I ever applied to. Okay. But um, I'm, I'm sure if I had gone and, you know, went the traditional route, I would have applied to some other schools. But, yeah, that's that's the only school I ever applied to. So, so what was it about the coaching, the coaches and the environment? I know it was kind of close to home for you compared to maybe some other options. What what brought you here? Yeah, starting out in high school, um, I, I was more uh, leaning towards some of those mid-major schools because of just my build and uh, the, the position I played. Being at six, six, seven and playing in the SEC was a little bit intimidating at first. However, um, I think Coach Pearl, uh, you know, he, he, he provided a lot of confidence in me in the sense that 
you know, he he compared me a lot to Horace Spencer in the season that he was having his freshman year. And um, and honestly, it just seemed exciting to play for for a school like Auburn. So so the funny story with Coach Pearl is that throughout my whole recruitment, uh, he he never offered me a scholarship. He actually told me that all the assistant coaches felt like I wasn't a good fit. You know, they they, they necessarily didn't didn't uh, they didn't not want me there, but they told me that you know, uh, you know, he was a little bit undersized. So Coach Pearl, he'll call me and say, you know, I'm I'm the coach that has the most confidence in you here because I believe in you and what you can help uh, contribute to our program. So um, he said, if you just hold out a little bit longer, he was saying, you know, just hold out a little bit longer. We're going to, you know, we're going to find a spot for you here. And, you know, a couple months went by, a couple months went by. Then uh, one one afternoon in October, I was playing at our local rec gym and I got a call, call from BP. He said, hey, you know, do you want to be Auburn Tiger? I was like, you know, like, heck, yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? So, um, you know, some guys after they get offered, they take a little couple of weeks, a couple months. I committed, you know, within three seconds. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in. So, I, um, you know, I got I downloaded a, a PNG from. Uh, Safari and I posted on my Instagram said I was verbally committed and that's that's how my story at Auburn started. It's awesome. Man, you, you love to hear those stories. There's a similar story with uh, Dylan Cardwell with how he had to wait around a little bit for a scholarship offer and the people that get that kind of they, I feel like you, you guys and we're fans you know we love our sport we love our team and we would kill to play on our team we'd kill to be anything involved we we make a fan podcast you know it, it's kind <laughs> of fun to watch a player that understands the opportunity and understands like how cool it is to be on the floor you know. Yeah, I think honestly, because I was from South Georgia, I, I didn't have a lot of experience with the Auburn environment. But my first genuine experience, I would say, had me hooked because I was I came to a game. Uh, it was 2015 and we had played Kentucky and I was with my AU team sitting on the, the side of bleachers. And when they had beat Kentucky that game, I was like, you know, this, this is the, the most amazing arena I've ever. And I, at that point, I had visited I had visited Georgia Tech. I had taken a visit to um, to Clemson and um where else did I go? I think I went to Brown by that point, uh, Brown University. And, and and seeing Auburn in that environment was, you know, it, it was the most unreal thing I've ever seen up to that point. It's cool to hear that a win like that wins people over a bit. You know, it, Bruce is talking about building that foundation and building up every single time. I'm also interested, you know, Bruce had been in for two or three years at that point, trying to build a, a team, trying to kind of like every year he kind of built like who he could recruit, you know, this team, he got Mustafa here and Austin Wiley, Jared Harper and you like how, what was it like selling like a year or two in now he finally had that win against Kentucky. They'd be like, see, I'm t- I told you guys we're building something. I know we've always been like historically not great. Like what was he, what vision was he selling you? And did he meet that vision at the end? Yeah. He, he necessarily didn't approach it like that. BP was always uh, preaching. He wants to make history. That was, that was his big thing. He would always tell us, you know, we, we're going to make history here. Uh, he wanted to transform the program to a winning program. Um, that, that, was, that was just his, his biggest selling point. And even when uh, me, Mustafa, and Jared came in initially, Austin came in a couple months after us, um, you know, we, we really hadn't proven anything. We had, we had a lot to prove, and we came in with a chip on our shoulders. I think Jared, most of all, wanted to prove something uh, out, of, out of all four of us because um, he was the most undersized. And, you know, even though he was highly rated, he, he still felt like he was better than what people rated him as. And uh, that showed in his work ethic a lot. But, you know, BP, uh, he really, you know, showed his players that we're going to make history with the guys that we have now. You know, at that point, we didn't need the, all of the five-star guys. We didn't need all of the ESPN top 100 or top draft picks. You know, we, we bought into his program, his system, then we'll be able to be a winning basketball team. And, uh, that, I mean, that's really how it started. I, I, I used to tell Jalen Williams my senior year that if, if, it was, if I was getting recruited now, I wouldn't even make the team because of how, how much it has gone. Like, I, I don't think I would have been able to get, 
you know, signed on to Auburn late, later on because of how much this changed. Yeah, you helped build the foundation that got it there, by the way, you know. Yeah, I think I was, I, you know, it, it was, I was able to contribute to a, a great program. That, that's the thing. Coach Pearl, he, he's able to mold guys with, you know, with, who has potential into, into great basketball players. With his system, he, he, he adjusts to your strengths. And, and that, that's what helps you, helps you become a better basketball player because you have such great coaches that put you in the best position possible to succeed. You know, if I, if I go anywhere in, other, in the country, I would have been, you know, either playing small forward because I was six seven. Or, um, or just, I don't know, riding the bench. But, but Coach Pearl, he allowed me to play center because that's why I felt the most comfortable at, even though I was only 6'7". And that's why I got the confidence to excel. And he allowed me to shoot threes, which my high school coach didn't really allow me to do. And, you know, it just like the confidence that he instills in his players just, you know, it, it, it's, it translates to winning because you, you have fun doing what you're good at playing basketball. Speaking of those threes, you know, it's interesting. We watched last game, we watched Walker Kessler hit a couple threes. It's been a big staple of Bruce's offense that these centers can shoot the threes and he allows them to shoot them. You only shot one three your freshman year. And then the next year you shot 40% from three on 40 plus attempts. What was that like jump between freshman and sophomore year? Was the staff asking you to shoot more threes? Like by the end, you were extremely confident three point shooter, but it's just very interesting that you only shot one three that entire first year. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I think, um, like I said, Coach Pearl really wants to to put you in the best position possible to succeed. So for me in the SEC, it was really hard for me to be a back to the baskets type player all the time. So I was sort of, uh, you know, forced to to expand if I want to to benefit the team more. You know, I could have like, yeah, I could have, you know, just kind of been more like Horace and just stayed in the basket a little bit more, more like Austin. But, you know, I wanted to to be on the floor and be as productive as possible. So I, I, I sort of took the initiative to, to work in my three-point game. And because the coaches saw that, they didn't necessarily encourage me to. But once they saw me, you know, making them and shooting them, they, they, they allowed me to shoot more. And as my confidence grew, they, you know, they just stopped. They, they didn't tell me not to do, so I just shot more and more. So I think uh, initially uh, my freshman year, I didn't have the confidence to, to shoot as much. Uh, I, I also didn't have the green light, you know, because you had, you know, sort of guys that were in that spot who need to shoot. And uh, as I gained some tenure in the program, I, I, I was able to shoot a little bit more, had a little bit more freedom to shoot. And if you make them, he, he lets you shoot more. So, you know, he lets the guys shoot that, that are making them. So because I wasn't making them at a clip at, at, as bright as anybody else, I didn't get to shoot as much. But, you know, as I got as I got more old into the program, I got to shoot a little bit more. You don't want to take too many three attempts when you got Bryce Brown on the team. So, <laughs> right, right. I don't know. There was one game where I think I took seven threes. I, I was surprised at myself that game. You remember which one that one was? Uh, I don't. I think it was Texas A&M. Either, yeah, you, uh, I remember you getting hot in some of those games. Like, it was very – like, when you went back there to shoot the three, as much as you were a center, it was confident coming off that hand. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I got lucky a little bit. <laughs> well, it was such a fun thing to watch. Like, uh, that, especially you mentioned Horace and Austin, you know, you just create when, when you would start and obviously Bruce loves to play the bench and he, he plays so many guys, but other teams would have to really play three different styles almost when each of you were in the game at that position. And I really think it opened up a lot of the offense. So it's, it's cool that you, you mentioned you did that in high school as kind of a smaller quote unquote center. You weren't, you, I guess you might've been playing center in high school, but you, you could shoot it. So obviously the tools were there. It's just cool to see, like you said, how, adaptable Bruce is to his personnel and obviously that was a big weapon yeah and the thing I liked about playing with Austin so much was that um you know me and him used to get tired really easily um I don't know we, we were in good shape but we just we just we had a hard time playing longer than 
than three or four minutes at a time. So what we would do naturally is uh, coach never subbed us two out. We would sub ourselves out. So uh, whether Austin would start the game, well, this, our senior year was a little bit different. We started we started uh, playing, but the, my junior year, we would play two minutes at a time. Austin would, uh, I think I started my junior year, but I would play until 18 minutes. Say, Austin, come get me. Austin would play until 16 minutes. And we would really just let each other play until we got tired and then, you know, just sub each other out. And then it, it came to the point where Coach uh, BP was like, uh, you know, you guys should sub out more like Austin and Anthony because, you know, those guys, they let each other play. And whenever, if Austin saw me playing well, he would give me, he'll give me a couple more minutes. If I saw Austin playing well, let him stay in coach. You know, that, there's, there's no reason for me being in the game if he's hot. So, uh, you know, it, it was really, really fun playing with Austin, especially my junior year. And uh, me and Horace did that a good bit my sophomore year as well. But, um, you know, just knowing that you, you can get out the game because sometimes, you know, some guys get their ego gets a little bit uh, hurt if they get out the game because they know they got to sit out for four or six minutes. But with me, Austin Horace, we, you know, two minutes in, get a quick, quick breather, you're going back in. It, it was a lot of fun. What's the quote that Bruce always had, Matt? Uh, no, which one? What, the no one, no one man envies another? No, no one being jealous of another man's success. I've always loved that. Yeah. Um, and you guys, that 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 final four team, obviously, I think exemplified that. Well, let's we, we're, we're talking about your sophomore year real quick. Um, that was a huge year. That was the, the breakthrough year for Auburn in terms of like success on the court. You were a massive part of that. That was the four and 14 preseason pick team with Bruce on the shirt. And, and you go into Knoxville and win and y'all just had a great start to conference play. Um, that that felt like the team that was putting it all together. And then obviously, you know, you have your moment where you get hurt at South Carolina. I think for most fans, like that's something we'll always remember kind of where we were at because it was everybody loved you as a player and hated to see what you had to go through in that. And obviously the team made the first tournament in forever. Uh, they got to the second round, but it wasn't ever quite the same. You also had guys sitting out that year from all the, um, you know, NCAA stuff. So looking back on that, that was such a pivotal year. And obviously you came back to do great things after, but what are your big takeaways from that season in general as you look back on it a few years later? Uh, I have a lot of respect for that season. Uh, it was definitely a turning point for, for the program in general because we just uh, had so much confidence going forward from that. Uh, we started that year off 10-1. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we were doing great. We, uh, I think we got up to maybe 24th or 25th in the ranking that year. But that was the first time we've been ranked in a long time. And at the end of the season, we were well, at South Carolina, we were 23 and three, you know, re really confident. And uh, I just think that that was a point where we, we knew that we could compete and be dominant in the SEC, you know, and we just wasn't one of those Cinderella teams. So, um, you know, that, that was a big season for me personally, because that's when I uh, began my shift, I would say, away from basketball a little bit. Um, yeah, that, 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 was, that was a big turning point in my life personally. Um, I think I think that without that moment in my life, I wouldn't have matured as much as I had uh, as far as after that. Because before then, I was solely focused on, you know, trying to play professionally, whether that was in the NBA or G League or overseas. But my future was 100% basketball. And then after that, I realized that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun outside of outside of this round basketball. You know, it's always fun to watch, but, um, you know, it's, it's good to, to be aware and of, of all the opportunities available to you that that year you had such a big uh change from your freshman year to your sophomore year one interesting stat to look at is uh you were five blocks away from being third like there's kyle davis is number one with 126 blocks in a season kyle davis is number two with 84 blocks in a season number three also kyle davis with 78 you were 73 
with what eight games left on the schedule you were five you could have gotten the next game you could have jumped up to the third most in a season that's how insane your season was going before that injury uh yeah, i had a, i had a I had a good season it was a good year a lot of fun yeah. And I had, uh, before that year, I recorded my highest vertical that year. I was 42 and a half inches. Never quite got as high as that, but that was, that was a fun year. Right place at the right time, a good bit of time. Do you feel like that injury hampered you at all in like the future of the next two years? Do you feel like you fully came back from that? Oh, no, it definitely did. It was, it was one of the major reasons why I, I decided not to play anymore. Uh, you know, looking back, I, I did come back a little bit too soon uh, beforehand because you know, you got to think that the next – I came back. I got hurt in February. Uh, I played my next game in uh, September. So, I was off crutches for maybe 60 days, maybe 90 days before I played my next basketball game. And uh, and then the next season, we played 40 games. You know, that, that that's a lot of games in the season. So, um, I, don't, I don't think I realized, you know, I felt good in the moment because I was ready to play basketball. But as the season got longer and longer, it, it was just – it was really, really painful to keep playing. It was to the point where I had to be, you know, basically medicated before every game and to just, just to make it through the game. And then um, after that, you know, it just sort of lingered on to where my senior year was, you know, it, it was somewhat miserable as well because, you know, the length of it. And, but, um, you know, looking back, I, I may have, I may have redshirted, medical redshirted that year just so I could have a longer, more longevity in my career. But uh, at the time, I wasn't thinking, I just wanted to, I just wanted to play basketball again. You talked about uh, how Walker's going to beat you on that list soon enough. Well, I, I just looked up the stat to see actually where he's at, thinking, you know, about it's a, about similar part of the season probably the, where you got the injury. He, you had 73 at that point. He has 104 right now. Yeah. He's I mean, already second all-time in the first season at Auburn. Uh, Kyle Davis has 126. He's at 104 right now. I think, uh, think Walker might blast right past it. Yeah, I think uh, especially if he comes back for another season, uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll be number one all-time. Uh, in, in two seasons, you know, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to watch him play because, you know, most of the time he, he just changes shots a lot. He doesn't really get to block all the time. And that, that's how, like, you can tell he's a great defender because, you know, a lot of the guys just don't like being around him in the paint. And that just changes up the flow of the basketball game so much. Can you talk a little bit, you know, comparing, you know, you and Walker, very different sizes, but you have big blocks for both of you. And also you both had this lob plays with your point guard, Jared, and you had this great connection on these lob plays. And so does Walker. And one of these kind of like walk us through one of those lob plays and walk us through what you're looking for as a block when someone's coming down the lane, like the kind of tendencies, the arm they're looking to put out, where you're look, like angling yourself, how you're not getting a foul with these SEC refs, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to compare uh, me to Walker because, you know, we're, we're two different players. I mean, Walker, he's I, I think he's 100 times better than I ever was, you know. But, uh, you know, just just for lob plays in general, if you look at the way he, he sort of does his lob plays, um, he, he doesn't really do a lot of rolls. I would say uh, he kind of slips to the screen, but he mostly slips to the, the free throw line a lot. And they just kind of give him a bounce pass. He, he does those does two steps and dunks it a good bit. Or, or he'll uh, back up to the rim, wait till the point guard drives it up. And then once they defend him, they'll just kind of lob it up to him. You know, like because he's tall and athletic at the same time, he's able to do that. But uh, what I had to rely on, I had to rely on both my quick quickness and athleticism. So um, I would slip a lot of ball screens with Jared. So um, what I would do is I would come up and set a screen. And before, when, when my the five-man reacted to try to trap him, I would just run down to the goal. And uh, Jared usually lobbed up from the three-point line, and then uh, then I will dunk it. So, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't as good as uh, what Walker does. He's able to, once they get down to the lane, just use his vertical, and they just kind of, like, lob it up real soft, and he's able to dunk it. You know, it takes me a good bit of a run-up to in order to get that up there. 
So um, I, th- I think he's comparable to Austin because Austin used to do that a good bit as well. But, um, you know, it's just a different style of play when you're 6'7 versus 7'1. Uh, but you're right that there's a difference in the timing. What you and Jerry and Bruce uh, with now, and I don't know if this is giving anything away, but was that a was that a called slip or was that a you would read the your man and and run that? Because the timing of it with Jared was just three or four times a game. It was just there. Yeah, no, we had a couple of players. I don't know if they still run now, but uh, you know, all the coaches have our calls. But um, so what we would do is when whenever we want to run a slip, we would call this play called horns. It looked just like this. You'll see Jared running it. So what would happen is. Uh, the five man and the four man would come up to the three point line and just sort of set a double screen. So it was either me and D'Angelo, me and Horace in the game at the time. Mostly, I say mostly me and D'Angelo, me and Truman at the time. You know, Truman was playing a lot too. So uh, what would happen is we'll both set a screen right here, and then Jared would come off me, and then right before Jared came off my shoulder, I'll just run down to the middle of the paint, and then uh, and then then he'll throw he'll either throw it up to me or he'll throw it back to Truman for a three. Right. So you know, th- there there's a lot of reason why I might tell you that there was a lot of adjustments out of that. So if uh if 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 Jerry decided to keep it and and do something else to do a ball screen, I would do something else. If he decided to go back to Chuma, I would smash my guy. You know, try to get the lane open for Chuma. If he threw it up to me, obviously I'll try to go to, up up and dunk it. If he threw it across the court, whole other thing I would do. I'll, I'll go back and set a screen to somebody else. So there's there's a lot of actions out of that horns action, but you know, obviously the first action would be if if my man reacts to Jared coming off the ball screen because if he doesn't, Jared might have a wide open layup because you know I'm I'm technically setting a screen. The defense had to react. So, uh, but he'll, he'll lob it up. Another play that we had was called, um, let's see if I remember. It was a play called fire. It was just a middle ball screen. We just type, tap our chest and um, just, you know, it would just be me and Jared in action by ourselves. And Jared either come down to the corner, come to the middle of the floor. I'll set a ball screen. I, I had two options to either do here. I could either uh, pop back backwards for a three point or I could, I could go to the lane. So my job here was to react to whatever my defender did. So uh, later in my career, I, I, I reacted to the three-point line a little bit more because you know I couldn't I, I could jump but it, it, it would be a lot painful but uh but um but yeah so that, that was that was one of those ball screen actions as well so what you see with Walker now is you see him going up to set a screen but rather rolling as I said he'll pop back to the three-point line and then he'll get that uh he's so skilled he'll get that ball at the free throw line and then you know do his move and get to the to the goal pretty easily you, you know, you talked about with, with Austin, you, you would sub each other out or you would, you would call out that you want out that you didn't want to stay in for more than two, four or six minutes or so. Me and Matt have been very impressed with Walker Kessler, how much he can run up and down the court and how they don't have to take him out very often for a guy, his size, just, you know, you're six, seven, seven, one, adding all those inches. Like, are you, are you like blown away by the athleticism that he can, you know? No, it's, it's great that he can, uh, you know, just stay in the game so long, you know, especially be effective that long in the game. Because sometimes guys just kind of out there moving around, but he's always in the game. He's always effective. And that, that that's one thing that's really uh, just amazing to see by him. But, um, you know, even, even, seeing him at, even seeing him at North Carolina, you know, he, he was always a, a force. And I just think, you know, BP has that way of instilling confidence in his players just to, to pushing them to their full potential. Well, if we fast forward to your junior season a little bit today, you know, the, you won an SEC regular season championship, which was just mind-blowing at Auburn that we could do that. It was kind of this crowning moment that Bruce, you know, when we hired Bruce, that he could do something like this. It was kind of like, wow, we finally reached this, like, milestone that we didn't know if we could get there with Bruce. We weren't sure. Like, we, we believed in Bruce, but we weren't quite sure if we could get there. You finally get there, and now most everyone's returning. Kind of like, a, you know, in soccer, they have a thing called like the golden generation. You kind of know when you have a special group of players. And so for the first time in Auburn history, 
even though we lost Mustafa Heron in that offseason, we had expectations coming into a season for the first time in a long time. But people kind of forget during that season. So you're coming back from injury, you know, and we got Mustafa Heron going. We have Chuma coming back. We knew there was something special about Chuma. He didn't quite peak where we, you know, he never really peaked in that freshman season, but we knew he had something special. We definitely knew he had something special with Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. But people kind of forget in that season, we did have some lulls. We had kind of, you know, kind of a some issues before that UGA game where that ball went. He talk a little bit about the mentality of the team when when things weren't quite meeting the expectations about early in SEC play. Yeah, I think uh, you know we we always had a chip on our shoulders to where uh, we didn't expect anything. We we felt like we had to go out and get everything. So um, even even that game with UGA when it came down to the last uh, shot where Chuma you know Chuma Chuma made that three. You know, we, we we I think we just always wanted to to make sure we play as best as possible. Um, but going through some of the downsides of the season, it was more of a disappointment that we didn't live up to the, the way we could play because we we would work so hard, we would uh, watch so much film each game. So when we came out and played bad, um, it was more of necessarily just disappointing that we didn't fulfill that obligation to to to. And even if we didn't shoot well, you know, we could still win the game doing other things. So. Um, going back to that junior season, I, I remember, I don't remember much, much of it. I know we, we probably, we probably like seven and seven at one point in SEC, maybe eight and eight and six, but we lost, we lost a few SEC games in a row. I don't remember. A lot of people kind of put the turn of your season at that bad at Kentucky loss or at the Chuma hitting that three at UGA. Do you have like own narrative that you feel like the team itself had a narrative kind of like of a turning point? I know a lot of that can be once you're through it, you can look back at the turning point, but like, was there a moment where you were in the locker room or anybody and said, we got to get something together or, okay, now that we hit that three and we won that UGA game, we got something going. Was there ever like a speech or anything like that? Yeah. Once we uh, were in Lexington and, you know, we, we got beat pretty bad by Kentucky BP, um, you know, he came to the locker room and said, you know, that's not how a team that wants to compete for a national championship plays. You know, he said, uh, you know, early in the season, we were we, we were a team that could compete for a national championship. But after the way we play, you know, that's not that's not how we play. That's not how we played that game. So that was a turning point to say, OK, it's late in the season. You know, we need to finish this thing out strong if, if we want to even get to the tournament or even get a chance to to play later in the postseason. So I think I think that that was definitely a turning point for us because. You know, it, it was embarrassing. I think we lost by 30, maybe 20, 30 uh, in Lexington. So uh, after that, it was really a shift in being locked in into our scouts, locked into our opponents to just make sure we, you know, we play well or to the best of our ability the next games of the season. Well, and then you go, you go uh, four game winning streak to end the SEC season. Uh, I live in Nashville. Uh, I went to two of those SEC tournament games. Auburn just gets incredibly hot, wins four games in four days. That Tennessee game being here living in Tennessee with like 3% of the crowd there being Auburn fans was awesome for me. We win the SEC tournament. You get it. You survive the first round in the NCAAs. We obviously have this incredible can. We could ask you about so many of these things, Kansas, North Carolina, but um, you know, I was also in Kansas city for that sweet 16 game and just seeing you guys just run up and down and play with North Carolina. There was kind of this narrative that, you know, North Carolina plays fast and they go up and down and they're going to push the pace. And Auburn, y'all just, y'all outplayed North Carolina in that game so clearly. And Chuma was a big part of that. He goes down. Um, the Elite Eight game, I think, will always be something all Auburn fans will remember forever, what you guys did without him. I've We've always wondered this. We've talked about this for years. Um, 
did you know, did y'all know Chuma was going to arrive? I know CBS made it seem like a, he's arriving, he's coming in off out from, from the hotel. He's showing up for his team. Was that the plan? Did you know he was going to show up? How did any, all that work when you're in the flow of the game? No, no, that definitely wasn't the plan. We were surprised when we got there because uh, when he got there, because we had to take a team bus because we were out in Kansas City. There, we didn't know there were any other forms of transportation. Transportation. So once we left the the hotel we were at, we thought you know Chin was going to watch from from the hotel. You know that, that we we just expected it because he he just tore his ACL. So um, I, I I don't I don't know how he got. I still don't know how he got there. I think he Ubered. I don't know how he got there to this day, but. Um, you know, it, it was it was great. It was definitely just great to see him coming uh, that that next day against Kentucky, just to be out there and support us. Because you know he had to be in pain. You know he 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 probably wasn't feeling well just to you know have his knee not elevated in that wheelchair. But uh, you know it, it it was great to see him. Chum was he he's probably one of my favorite teammates or one of my favorite teammates to ever played with at Auburn. He was a great guy. You played with him for two years, and and I was one of the biggest. Uh, you know they use the word stand now. A Chuma fan, a Chuma stand. I would tell anybody that would listen his freshman year that he had something special. He has this uh, touch that you can't seem to like uh, teach anybody with that athleticism that when he got near the rim, no matter how fast he was going, he could finish the ball with just a little bit of touch. And there's been a lot of players that on the team or different places that can't quite do that. He, he kind of made this turn that me and Matt always talk about. I think the fan base took too, where he goes big choom and it took a really long time. We knew it was there and he couldn't quite, yeah, the, the aggressiveness just wasn't quite there. We knew he could always do it. Like, what was that like in the locker room? What was, you know, it, he's not you or whatever. Like, what was Bruce telling Chuma? Like, come on, you know you could do it. Like, how much, like, conjoling did he have to do to get Chuma to take those shots and be a little more assertive? I mean, I, I think it just came, you know, to Chuma just doing it himself. You know, he, he was always, I'll say he was always one of the most talented persons in the locker room because uh, we, we would play king of the court, you know, with all the guys out to practice. And uh, even as a freshman, Chumo Chumo would be victorious a lot of times. Davion Mitchell was, you know, he was great. I'm, you know, he he was a he was an asset that Auburn life. Auburn had Davion later in his career. We would have been awesome as well. But uh, him and Davion, probably two of the most talented freshmen I've ever seen, and they would just go at it every single day, just back and forth, just kind of both of them making crazy shots. And uh, Chuma, I think it was just upon himself, just uh, just believing that he could just, you know, play like he did in high school. And once he started. Gaining confidence, you know, he just he just ran away with it. But uh, BP, he never really changed out the way he coached him. You know, Chuma was always very soft spoken. Uh, you know, very coachable, one of the most coachable guys ever. And you know, he just sort of took it upon himself. It's interesting. We always had a theory that, that Bruce was probably getting on him all the time to take more shots and drive more balls. It's interesting to hear that he just kind of let it go. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, Chuma always had it in him. Uh, he just kind of just as he got older, he just he just gained confidence. Mm-hmm. Well, t- tell me this, uh, you know, that while we're still on the Chuma subject, he goes down North Carolina game, brutal. You know, this is some going to Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four. That's something us Auburn fans could only dream of. I'm sure similar for the players, we're dreaming of that kind of thing. You get into the Final Four game, you're a couple shots away potentially of going to a national championship. You have two free throws on the line, and the camera zooms in on you, and you're chanting Chuma at the free throw line, correct? Wait, yeah. Was that something that – you know, how, how did that come about? I mean, I think at, at that point, you know, the whole season, you know, even even not not just me, but we, we were all just kind of doing it for Truman because BP, you know, I, I mentioned him because like, he, he coached us so well. You know, like we, we were doing it for Truman because, you know, if, if, if we didn't have him up to that point in the season, then we wouldn't have got as far as we did. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, for me anyway, as a player who was shooting 67% from the line, you know, it, it was a lot of pressure. 
in the final four game on CBS, you know, a lot of people watching you. Um, I just had to focus in on, you know, what I need to do and not, not, you know, it, that, there's, there's a lot of pressure in that situation to, to make two free throws to what a chance to go to the national championship. So, you know, that, that's what I could do personally to, to, to block out, you know, the idea that you're on national TV with a lot of people watching you. So I was just like, you know, this is Pachuma. Like, I don't, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm not, on, I'm not, I'm just in the practice gym. This is Pachuma. And I'm just going to keep saying that I'm, I'm going to knock these free throws down. Was Chuma at the final four? Was he at, at the game, you know, at the Kentucky one, he like showed up late, but was he on the sideline or? Uh, I don't, I, I guarantee you he was. I, I doubt that we would go to, you know, Minneapolis without Chuma. And, and if we, if we skip around a little bit, cause I think Matt's got another question about that final four game. But I want I do want to skip back one. This has always been a moment. In fact, when me and Matt picked our favorite moments in Auburn history, I picked this moment in the elite eight, the game's coming to an end. The ball's going down the court. It's right at the end of regulation. Horace Spencer's got the ball in his hands. <laughs> Bryce Brown to his right. Horace goes up. What is going on in your mind as Horace is going up for the three that could potentially send you to the final four? You know, let me walk you through that play because that's a very funny play. And, um, and you know, I just, I just, you know, it's shocking for me as well as, you know, probably for you. So, you know, as, as you know, about two minutes before that play happened, P.J. Washington was just going on a tear just scoring bucket after bucket after bucket, you know, just kind of just, just scoring every single time. So we call timeout or somebody calls timeout. And, um, you know, we decided to put horse on, on PJ for the last, last possession of the game. So, you know, obviously they go back to PJ, you know, he, he goes baseline, tries to score on horse, horse puts his hand up, grabs the ball. It, it, it starts, it goes everywhere. It goes near me. I try to pick it up. My, I'm one knee on the ground. Uh, Keldon Johnson pick up, picks up the ball. I was like, all right, I'm not going to follow him. So I just jump up two hands. And, you know, I get I get the block. Bryce Bryce gets the ball. So I think it's like it's probably like 15, 10 seconds left at this time. We're like, OK, you know, we got a chance to get a shot. So um, I run down to the left corner. Uh, for some reason, Horace runs down to the um, to the to the arc and uh, Bryce gets the ball. So Bryce is dribbling the ball up the court. You know, we're, we're just expecting Bryce to you know try to get open and get a shot off. But uh, Bryce throws it to Horace to, I guess, to get a get to get a handoff for a shot. And then at that point, I guess I think it's like three seconds left. It's not it's not close at all. And then we just see Horace shoot it. So you know, in my head, I'm thinking anything is possible because you know we he's going to make it. You know why not? Why not at this point? Why not? And then uh, he shoots it and he he misses it. You know, but um, you know we, we're not disappointed because you know at that point. You know why why not shoot it? You know what you know what, what's going to hurt? It's not like that's not the the win or lose shot. So I feel like that's a free shot. But, um, you know, I was shocked that he took it. You know, I, I probably wouldn't have taken it in that situation. But, you know, he, he got the, you know, the guard to take it. He got the guard to make it. So I feel like he could have easily, easily made it in that situation. Bryce was uh, very uh, exacerbated, very upset afterwards. Do you remember what he was saying or what, what yeah, the ball exactly. was after he missed it? He was like, come on, man, pass the ball. <laughs> you know, he's just kind of like, like, come on. Like, you, you can see him. Like, it's like a slow-mo on the uh, on the video. He's just like, come on, man. Like, he's, he wasn't really upset. He was just like, you know, well, I guess he was just more like, that That was a chance. Like, you know, like, we might not have a, a chance that good to beat Kentucky, especially in overtime. You know, you never know what can happen. Well, and and Bryce had picked up his dribble, right? They, they pressured him, he, and he was hoping to get it back. So, I think that was his thing. He wanted to get the ball back and get that shot. The other thing I would say about that play, uh, you've probably seen this, but – uh, Stephen Pearl's reaction to that coming off the bench is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen because he was just so frustrated, so mad. 
I feel, yeah, I feel yeah. like I lived a lifetime between the moment he that horse caught that ball and shot that ball because it was so intense. I was sitting, I was, I live up in New York and I was sitting in New York Auburn Club bar and I couldn't even talk to anyone. So like the bar owner was trying to talk to me as so I'm like, can't talk, sitting in the corner and he gets that ball. And I like, I just, the, the, the emotions I felt, it feels like, you know, that play lasted two seconds, but I can remember the emotions of, oh, we got a chance here. Bryce got the ball. Okay, it's going to horse. Oh no, horse is actually going to shoot it. It's in the air. Maybe it could happen. Anything can happen. We shouldn't have even been here to begin with. This could go in. It didn't. Why did he do that? You know, <laughs> like like, the, like after didn't. the fact, you wonder like, why did he do it? Especially when you see yeah. how much time was left on it. But, you know, hey. It, I can, it, it, I can envision the Cinderella story in my head in the like, 0.5 seconds that that ball was in the air that oh of, of all the players horse spencer hit a three to win the game to send us to the final four and then it clunks out and it just it's crazy that i can remember all those feelings and like thoughts with like a, a two second play yeah <laughs> well and i would just say uh, i'm so glad you mentioned horace's defense there because horace had these moments where he would come in and just play incredibly on both ends in, in key moments of games it was and like you said he had the gall to take it i mean he he played with that kind of confidence. We've had guys throughout the years, and that's BP, right? That's that's BP getting his guys to to believe, and, and yeah, I can make that shot. You know? Yeah, of course. Like, why not? You know, it's just it's fun. You know, it was, it was that, that. I don't think there was a time where I played for BP that I felt like, you know, like I really just I just shouldn't do something. You know, it, yeah. whether it's like just taking the three or just uh, you know, a lot of the times like plays weren't designed for a specific person to shoot. It was more designed for a specific look. And if that look wasn't open, then you would just go to the next look. So, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you can't really just tell. Uh, I mean, BP, he would he would preach. He would tell guys to shoot more than to shoot less. Yep. And, um, you know, so a lot of the, a lot of times it's just it's, it's just up to the player just to, you know, to, to make the best decision on the court. And I think that's when you play your best basketball. Yep. Uh, the final four run was so crazy. The SEC tournament was so crazy. We're talking about a little bit with this team, too, but it's so much more than just a team that's playing really well and a team that takes you all the way. It's, it's the, it's past that. It's the culture. It's the kind of players you guys on that team were so much fun to cheer for. There's sometimes there's teams that other teams have to cheer for a player. Maybe they don't like as much, or maybe a style of play like that. Can you imagine being a Virginia fan? They won national championship, man, they weren't a fun team to watch. (laughs) Like this team was fun to watch and it was extremely memeable. It's just so interesting that this team, like I was going to ask you about a couple of these things, like post SEC tournament, it was so cool to see all the fans greet you guys when you got back. What was that like? That was great. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can remember the exact moment. Oh, when we 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 I do remember this. It was fun. So uh, after we beat Tennessee, we came back. It was probably like eight or nine o'clock at night, and we went straight to Tuma's Corner. And uh, you know, we had the trophy, and I believe it was. Yeah, no, that may have been after the, the Kansas City game. I don't know. One one time we went straight to Tuma's Corner. And, you know, we're just kind of just out there hanging out with like, you know, just going crazy with the, uh, with all the supporters out there. And it was, it was just a lot of fun, you know, um, you know, it was euphoric, I would say, you know, just kind of like unbelievable once in a lifetime, obviously, but um, you know, it, it was just great to be a part of a piece of Auburn history. Did you guys hear that you won the sex tournament? <laughs> You'll hear yeah, we, about we, that. Yeah, we were, um, after we, after we got uh, back to the hotel, we were watching the broadcast waiting on Selection Sunday, and, you know, we, we started seeing the memes about that on Twitter, you know, it, it, neither here nor there, but it was, it was pretty funny. You know, just don't... That, that whole tournament itself was crazy because, you know, one, one shot, you know, one, one call, we could have lost, you know, any game. Even if you go back to the game against Florida, you know, Javon fouls the guy at the end because we were told to foul. 
they don't call it, you know, that's the end of the game. All the Florida people are mad, but, you know, and then at New Mexico State game in the tournament, mm-hmm. that game goes, uh, we, we end our, in our season, that guy makes that shot, you know, and he, it was wide open because it was busted coverage that game. Yeah. I mean, that, that place. So now that, there's a lot of factors that led us to getting lucky, I would say, and, and having a run that we did. Well, I'm walking you through the memes a little bit here. We had sex tournament, and then we had about that time from Malik Dunbar. Uh, still a great single. They're still put in the stadium today. Where were you at when he was singing about that time, about that time? Malik Malik actually started that um, the first time I met him. He was singing. Uh, he 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 just he's just all he was always singing. The first time I met Malik, we were uh, actually getting ready to go on our trip to Italy to play in a couple games uh, overseas, and. Um, you know, he, he was just kind of like the new guy on the team. And, you know, he just came in with immediate confidence. You know, he, you, you would have thought he was on the team for 20 years the way he was just, you know, kind of greeting everybody. But, you know, the first time I met him, he was just in the locker room singing. And, you know, he really just never stopped. And then everybody was everybody would get mad because he was like, it'll be it'll be six, six o'clock in the morning. We have six o'clock workouts. He'd just come in singing, trying to wake everybody up. That was like, you know, it, we can't even get mad at you because it actually sounds good. You know, it's not like you're singing, you know, bad. It's not like, you know, it's bad. So. It's just like you know he 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 was definitely one of the the biggest providers of energy on the team. It was it was a lot of fun. That that whole team itself was just a lot of fun and just had a lot of pieces that made it fun to play basketball. He's in our intro for this podcast about that time. It's okay. it's beloved at this point. Uh, another great meme, probably the best meme from that entire run that I just love and I hope I hope I don't know you can never reputate reputate this again. We got Jared the song. <laughs> when did you guys find out about that? Like. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you tired of it by the end? No, we definitely loved it. We we one of my favorite uh things about that song is that one time the band played it. I think it was an SEC tournament. They they played like a rendition of it. It was fun. But I don't remember the first time I heard it. But I remember once I did like once the, the whole team heard it, they put it on the locker rooms in a you know, the speakers in the locker room. It was actually a lot of fun. But um, you know, that, that was that was probably the the one of the best you know things that someone did for us in the whole like the whole season it was so fun to see that I, I still uh hear it sometimes on Twitter every now and then that's still a lot I mean, of fun to listen to part of the reason it blew up so much is because you embraced it a little bit I remember seeing I think the first time I heard it was I think maybe Daniel Purefoy was playing it off his phone or something and singing along with it it was a video of the team and like the fact that you guys embraced it made like amplified it times two. It was like a goofy song, just this goofy thing that people were like, okay, some guy wrote a song about the team to like you guys enjoying it and being like, they enjoy it. We enjoy it now. It's great. It's ours. You know? Yeah, no, it was fun. It was definitely fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I still like that song. That's, that's, that's a great song. <laughs> I've got a question Jackson. We may change up our list here a little bit, but I, I'm just going to ask you, I don't want to focus too much on it, but, you had the, the the brutal end of the Final Four game. You had the brutal end to your senior year with COVID shutting everything down. Um, for you personally and for the team you were with both those years, was one of those harder than the other? I know they were both gut punches in their own way. I mean, how do you look back at those two rough endings to season? Yeah, I think the um, the COVID season was definitely rough for me just for the for the fact that it was over. You know, at least, at least at the end of Final Four, I had the next season to look forward to it. You know, I, I just felt that, you know, uh, not to get too political, but no, it, it was it was unfair. I, not necessarily from the circumstances because a pandemic is a pandemic. You can't do anything about that. But just from a, a timing perspective that, you know, that's my senior year or that's our senior year. You know, me, often Dangel, Javon, Samir, you know, and, and then, you know, we just we don't get a chance. You know, it's kind of like it, it's over. That's just that, that's it. So I, I would definitely say that that was um, a good bit harder 
um, especially for me, because I had already made a decision that, you know, I was going to be done after that. And I was like, you know, wow, you know, it's kind of like that came fast. You know, I can really, you know, at least during the game, you kind of you kind of see it coming. And then at the same time, I was looking forward to my second NCAA tournament because the Final Four is the only one I've ever played in. And I was like, you know, I'm ready to, you know, do this thing again, actually play again. And then, you know, in, in a span of seconds, you know, you, you find out that the SC tournament is canceled. It's like, okay, you know, well, we get to go back to campus and get ready for the NCAA because at that point, I think we were projected to be a five seed, maybe four seed. And, um, you know, we try to make a run. And then, like, a couple seconds after that, all right, the whole thing is canceled. So, you know, that was definitely a gut punch in the, in the grand scheme of things. I feel like I, I always tell this, you know, we went to a final four the year before and the, the, the next year's team, you started out the season like 14 and 0, 15 and 0 or something like that. And then the team kind of developed a little bit with Isaac Okoro kind of developed. Yeah, he, he took a little while, just like Chuma did to finally like kind of pick up exactly like meeting his talent wise. I always say you guys are peaking at the right time and ready for another run. You know, I don't know if that was going around the team, like what you guys thought, like you were right. Like, especially with that Kentucky, I felt like, you, you guys at Kentucky were on back and forth. I was looking so forward to that SEC tournament for you to rematch with Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I think it was fun, um, especially after uh, getting a win over LSU, who I think won the regular season that year. And also, you know, just, just I think we were just riding high at that point. We, we had a great, you know, great team, a lot of confidence going in. I think we were the three seed. It was LSU, Kentucky. No, I think we were maybe the four seed. I don't know. I know we had a bye game the first game. And um, yeah, we, we, we were just ready to play. And more importantly, like we, we wanted to compete for another championship. And um, yeah, as you said, it's kind of like when it, when it ends like that, you, you've never seen just a season end in that way. And I've never seen it. And it's just sort of like, you know, like I can't, I, I wouldn't have never expected in my life something like that to happen. Uh, I want to walk back a little bit. You know, we were talking about the ending of the final four. I was at the final four also. Sarah, you were on the court. I was in the uh, exact last row in Minneapolis. I couldn't tell if you or Austin Wiley were on the floor. That's how far back I was. I couldn't tell which one of you guys was on the floor at the same time. I just knew there was a, a large man under the basket. <laughs> they couldn't even have the screens. But for me, when the moment happened, you know, everybody talks about the double dribble now. I was in person. You were in person. You were playing. I didn't even know the double dribble happened. You know, so like that wasn't my moment. My moment was we are about to win the game. They're shooting the three. It misses. I'm like hugging friends, tearing up. We did it. We're going to the national championship only to have tons of like fans eventually around us kind of work up the crowd. Like there was a foul call. You, you couldn't hear the whistle or anything. Yeah. I feel like the double drill was a little overdone. Like what was the moment for you where you were like, oh no, was it when he hit the free throws? Was it the foul call? Was it like what was that moment like? All like all three of those moments. Yeah, I was I was on the court for that uh, the first moment of the double dribble, and you know, like you said, I didn't see anything. I was, um, you know, from my angle anyway. I was uh, I was under the court, you know, back Bryce was defending. You know, what it looked like in real time was that Bryce tipped the ball and he went back and grabbed and started dribbling. And I think the reason why the ref didn't call is because he just did it with so much confidence. You know, he just mm -hmm. you know went and grabbed and started dribbling like you know like oh that was normal. I think had had he hesitated or had he you know you know, just kind of like, oh, am I supposed to do this? Then it'll, oh, that would have been double dribble. Like, he just went and grabbed and started dribbling. Like, that was, like, normal. So nobody really saw it in real time, especially I don't think the referee would have expected it because it was such a big moment. Like, you know, like, why would he do something mm -hmm. so obvious in that moment? But, um, you know, the uh, the, the whole – even before that last three was called, you know, Kyle, Kyle Guy was just – he made a crazy three because the snare was uh, defending him, and he caught the ball on the right corner and just shot it within, like, half a second. It just went in. 
it was like, all right, you know, now it's a two point game. And, you know, so, so um, it might've been a four point. No, it might've been, it might've been a three point game, but either way, you know, we go down, we get the ball back and uh, Jerry gets fouled. He makes one or two and now they come back. And uh, when they pass it to Cowan, he shoots it. Like I'm on the, I'm on the goal. No, it was, a, it was an out of bounds play. It was out of bounds play. And then what we were worried about was Diakite getting a lot to the basket. So um, I, I was, uh, I was playing back in a kind of a zone defense. Uh, making sure that you know it was it was less probably less than three seconds left in the game. Making sure he didn't try to get a lob dunk to tie the game up, and then what they end up doing is they ended up uh, throwing it to the corner. We didn't expect we didn't expect them to go for a three, you know, in in that moment. And then I think Samir caught caught a little bit off guard, got a little bit too close, and they end up calling him fouling the body. And I, I heard it immediately because you know I was I was looking at the play and I was like oh, I can't believe you know they called a foul on that. So yeah, yeah I'm, glad, I'm glad you say that. I, I feel like some people. I don't know. It's annoying me in a game scenario like that national championship birth on the line. I just thought it was a really weak foul to call. I was very upset that like, it, it, it's always annoying online to try to bring up this point of like, you, sure it was a foul, but it was a super weak call. And those calls just don't usually get made in the game like that. Like, were you pissed at that? Like, how did you process that? Were you like, yeah, some of foul. I can't believe he fouled. Or are you like, I can't believe they called that foul in this moment. No, you, you really got to think about all the moments leading up to that point before you can just think about that. Because, you know, like we, we had 39 minutes to, to, to put ourselves in a better position than, than that position. And, uh, you know, I, I think personally, we, we were very disappointed that we didn't play our brand of Auburn basketball that game. You know, look, comparing that game to North Carolina, we played 20 times slower. You know, we were just it, it wasn't like they really controlled the pace of the game. And, um, you know, I think I think, you know, Jared may have had nine points, you know. We, we just we just didn't play very fast. We didn't play our brand of basketball. So, um, you know, so just just looking back at that last play, you know, you can't really say neither here nor there because we had opportunities to take control. And, um, you know, we, we we didn't we didn't make the plays that we needed to make. Can you just talk about like the environment around the final four? You know, for me, the, that league hate happens. I'm like in New York. We're looking at it's like it's just something we never expect. I get in the stadium. It's this whole city surrounded four different fan bases like it's almost like Mad Max a little bit vying for who's going to be what like what was it like being in the stadium it's in a football arena you probably never played in a footballer like stadium before yeah I mean that was definitely like that was it was huge um like you said that, that was the biggest arena I've ever played in and I think seeing it empty was more intimidating than actually seeing it with full of people because the day before two days before when we got there it was empty and it was like you, you couldn't even focus on the basket because it was just so much I guess a space behind the goal, mm-hmm. and um, you know when when there's everybody in the arena, you get get a little bit of tunnel vision, so you kind of focus on what's going on. But um, you know, just 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 it being empty, you just hear the ball echo so much just when you bouncing in. And the stadium's probably like 10, 20 feet off the ground. You know, it, it, you know it's definitely intimidating. You sure to get your get your nerves and your adrenaline pumping just from practicing in there before the game even starts. So you you could feel that weight that this was an important game. You know. Oh, absolutely. You know, just just from the amenities from the final four, you know, we, we go in and um, I don't know if you know, but every, like every round that we got to, we got gifts uh, just for being there. So um, the, when we got to the NCAA, I think they gave us uh, suitcases or, you know, something like that. Uh, we got to the 316, we got a Ninja blender, or you had a choice of different things, about 16 different things. So, and then we got to the final four, they gave us recliners, you know, like, you know, like large, like, so he's like, okay. Like chairs. Yeah. yeah like, like 
full size. <laughs> Are they branded Final Four Lazy Boys? Then you got it in your house. Are you sitting in one right now? Is that it? <laughs> no, nah, well, I had it, but uh, when I moved, I didn't. I, I ended up giving it away to somebody. But no, I did have Final Four on it. But it was just like it was a it was a Lazy Boy recliner. Could you, could you imagine having a Final Four? like 2000, I think 19 final four recliner. And then you're leaving your college town for wherever. And you're like, that is a collector's item. Now some kid <laughs> in some frat house, they paid a thousand dollars to be like, you can sit in the final four chair and like, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I, I didn't think much about it though. Um, I still got my ring too. Let me, let me see if I can find them one second. Oh yeah. Perfect. That I, that I literally put this on the Google sheet to ask if you had any swag <laughs> or any rings or any cool things like that. Yeah, I got him. Uh, I got him. Hey, I don't know. You can't. You can't see. Let me. Let me turn this light on. Yeah, you got your shadow box there. Yeah, hold on. Your, my mom made me shadow boxes for. I don't know if you got that professionally made or not. No, uh, they gave us this one for. Uh, I don't know what shadow box is, but they gave us the jersey. So I got my my jersey here nice. in my basement, and then um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring them out. But I got my. So I actually got three rings, but it's technically it's technically only two of them. SEC regular season, SEC tournament. I guess the Final Four doesn't get a ring. Yeah, so the, the tournament and the Final Four was uh, combined into one ring. So I mean, gotcha. uh, I'm gonna, cool. show, let me show, see if I can show you. I, I don't, I don't know the, here. What's going on with the studio? You got a lightning bolt? You got a... Yeah, I, uh, I make I make finance videos. Uh, so this is kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's just like, it's kind of, it's, it's, just a, it's just a corner in my basement that I, that I do. All right, so let's start off uh, 2018. So 2018, we got this box here, this little gem. And then, uh, so here we go. Trying to. Nice. So, um, you know, on the side of it. Audio audio listeners, we got a big ring here. That's probably like bigger than my arm. They got SEC on it. Lots of diamonds. Watch this on YouTube, basically. Find (laughs) this on, this goes up on YouTube. So everybody go find, watch this. The ring is huge. How heavy is it? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. So, so this one's this one's twenty six and eight. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put them on so I can show you the comparison. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the SEC, uh, SEC championship, uh, regular season championship. And then we have um, this was sort of a gift from the NCAA. This is just a black one. Um, this is it says Final Four. So this take play a Final Four ring. So I'm gonna put this hey, one on. You got well. kind of, I think Final Four deserves a ring. It's different than other sports. Like the Final Four is almost as much of a peak as the national championship. I'm guessing this next one is is a. So that's the box one. from it. And then uh, you open it up, you have you know, the ring in this. So I'm, I'm going to try to show it to you. Watch. Yeah, so, you know, this this is uh, the final four. So it's definitely Ooh. nice. And um, has, on this side, it has 2019 SEC Tournament Champion, 30 and 10, final four. And then on the inside, what is cool, I don't know if I can oh, show you. your name on it. That's great. Yeah, so that's the score from the oh, four Oh, man, games. right through the heart of the blue bloods on the bottom yep. of the ring there. So if you compare, you know, this, you thought the other one was Dang, bigger. Dang, we'll have to so screenshot one, this. <laughs> so that one's a, a good big – actually, let me uh, let me put the, the AUs on the right way, I guess. Yeah, do that one. Me and Matt got to make a picture to show that we, we got to – So uh, – All right, Matt, you ready? I can't think of Eagle. So that's so that's all that's all four of them together. You know, I try, I, like, I like to show people, you know, whenever you – know, I had someone, um, a, vivid, a vivid security guy come by my house one day when I when I uh when I bought this house and he was like you know did, did you play Auburn I was like you know so we, we got into the story of you know just talking about it I was like hey, you want to see you want to see the rings and he was like yeah of course so you know <laughs> I like I like to show them off and uh you know just kind of what just... what occasions do you wear the rings I've, I've talked to some other people with other different rings and they have to like pick this this middle ground between like you want you got a ring 
you want to like wear it to like cool occasions, but you also don't want to be gaudy or take away from anybody. It's like, what is your like threshold? I've, I've never worn them. I've, I've never worn them. And the only time I've, I've actually worn this outside of just my house is um, when we went to the football game uh, in, I think it was in 2019 or, or maybe next season, but that that's, I mean, I've, I've just, I've never had an occasion whether, you know, because I, I would have worn it to a award ceremony my senior year. Uh, but you know, we didn't have that because of COVID and, you know, I've just, I've just, I've never, I've just never worn it anywhere. <laughs> have, you, have you gone back for any games or anything? If I went back for a game, I'd wear one, you know? Yeah. I went back for an Alabama game uh, when Sharif was there my, in 2020, but you know, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not a big, not a big, you know, just flashy guy. So it's kind of just, it's kind of stayed home. <laughs> well, my only question on any of this, and we can kind of move on. We were fan fanboy in here a little bit, but um, do you have any, like everybody cuts down the nets, right? You always want to cut down nets. Do you, do you, do you have a piece of one of the nets from one of the championships? I got, I got all of them. I got all, I mean, you don't have to show right, us that me, if you don't want to, but give me a second. Give me a second. This is fun. This is fun stuff. You know, you kind of just making me um, kind of just go out a good get... time, Matt. Don't tell me can't do these things. I'm, I'm loving saying. it. Yeah, I, I never really get the, the chance to, you know, show the stuff off because, you know, I just I don't really talk about it. I think the cutting down nets is just so cool. It's such a uniquely college basketball thing. And, like, you, you don't really appreciate it until you get to see your team and your guys do it. And it's always it, it was surreal as somebody who's followed the program forever to see you guys have these moments in back-to-back years where you get to you get to cut down cut nets. Down nets. All right, one second, one second. Let me uh how many nets do we have? I think it was three. Yeah, it was three. Okay, I got them. I had to go on, I had to go into the garage. These are pieces of history, Anthony. Don't lose these. We gotta put uh, you, we gotta put them in a safe or something. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm not gonna lose them. I have them. It's just like I said, I don't I don't talk about them all the time anymore. All right. It'd be the first thing in my house. I, maybe I'm a show off. It. I would be center. It would have a spotlight on it as soon as you walk in the house. You're definitely. I probably, I probably should get them. Get them hung up. I had them hung up. Um, I used to live. Uh, I used to rent a house. Me, me and my wife used to rent a house in Springville. I had them on the wall, but we bought a house in Forestdale and just never got around to it. All right. So here we go. So, 2018, uh, we won the regular season championship. This is when I was in the um. I was in a boot against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So got the net there. Nice. 2018. So this was from Auburn Arena. This this piece okay. of that. And I got the, uh, a little badge there. So this one says the big dance. So, you might like this this story. One of our student section people said the confetti started, you know, they started coming down a little early during that game. It was like an issue that could court. Supposedly, uh, Michael Floyd, our student section guy, said if it gets loud enough during a game, the rafters will shake and some of the confetti still falls sometimes. <laughs> That's fun. All right, so we got SC Tournament Championship. So this is the net from Tennessee. Nice. And I love this hat. Actually, uh, I had two of these hats. I ended up giving one to my grandma. So, but only one of them had the net on it. So the nets again, a little bit frayed. I don't know how that's happened. I need to, I need to wrap them up so they don't get too, too bad. And then we got the net from uh, Kentucky going to the final four, nice. the net from Kansas city. So I still got all my pieces of net on my hat. Cool. So, cool. you know, we got to make, I'm not making, make sure I don't lose these things. Yes, please keep them safe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, oh, so, got, 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 so all, all three pieces of net piece of piece of history. That's awesome, man. That's, I appreciate you sharing that with us. I know we'll have a lot of people who will love to just see that it's such a cool thing and kind of like looking over your whole career, obviously, you know, it's fun. We were going to ask you about rings. So thank you for jumping, uh, jumping ahead on that. <laughs> so if you just look back, you're, you always struck me as a guy who wanted to like leave a legacy, right? Of, of the way you carried yourself, the way you played, investing in the program. 
I mean, is there a way to even verbalize what it means looking back to just see that you were such a key part of this buildup of, of now what this program is and what obviously Bruce with his extension now, like we hope is going to be this decade, two decade long run of, of being relevant in, in men's basketball. Like, is there a way to even express kind of just the intangible quality of what that means being a part of that? Yeah, I would say, you know, I was just blessed to, to be able to be in a position to contribute to a, a very successful team. Um, you know, a lot of it for me, I feel was just, you know, just sort of being in the right place at the right time, just being able to, to be a part of something so historic, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't see myself as, uh, you know, any, any sort of major factor, just, you know, just doing my part, playing the best that I could physically and just overall, just, just doing what I could to help the team succeed. And overall, every, every, with, with every single person doing that, just doing the best that they could, you know, we just, we just were, you know, happened to be a successful team and the teams that BP has, because he's getting so much more talent, he's continued to build on his, his coaching and, and his players that continue being more successful. It, it seems like, uh, you know, we've kind of gone through a lot of your, your career at Auburn, four years of playing for the team. You, you talked about when you got injured, you kind of started thinking about what you wanted to do beyond basketball. I feel like a lot of players don't have that moment to think that, you know, I don't know if you had any eligibility left. It, it feels like it got cut short. And then, you know, I don't know if you had any eligibility left after that. What was your thought process on like moving forward after that? Did you play any, you know, anything outside of Auburn? Like, you know, where'd you go after that? And where, where are you at now? Uh, personally, I, I had given it thought midway through my uh, my senior year. Um, at that point, I had already graduated. I was working on my master's and um, I, I had a, a career opportunity with, uh, with Regions Bank as a portfolio manager. So um, I met I met a guy there. His name's Don Coyne. He's you know he's one of my best friends now. Uh, and um, you know at that point it was either you know between going into the workforce. I had already basically secured this position, or um, you know taking a plunge into a world of basketball. That that already wasn't my favorite thing to do at the moment because it was very painful to for me to continue playing. So um, I knew. Sh- so was that physical, physical pain or mental pain? Like you mentioned you one other time that you, when you were jumping, it hurt. Did you, did you deal with having a nagging injury the rest of your career? No. So, so, you know, not, not to get on my soapbox here. So what happened was that uh, when I, when I came back from injury, uh, I overcome, I, I was compensating by not jumping on my left foot, by using my, my right, uh, my right leg uh, isolated, basically solely for all my jumping. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is that um, I developed just a case of tendonitis in my right knee which caused me to, um, you know, to have to use my left leg more. So, you know, over time, you know, I was, I, I was starting to use my left foot more, even though it wasn't fully healed 100% because my right knee was turning so bad. And then when I couldn't do that, I had to use my, you know, my right knee. So it, it was basically like a roller coaster of just going back and forth and hurting a lot. And, um, you know, it, it, it would be better when we had, you know, bye weeks or weeks off. But the season, there's so many games in the season that, you know, you got to practice for them, you got to play them, and then you get one day off. So it's kind of like, you know, there's not a lot of room for recovery in that, in that situation. So after two seasons of that, you know, just two seasons of just, you know, basically just pain, you know, just kind of like I, 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 was, I was a little bit done with it and I just wanted to, to move forward. You know, looking back now, when I, when I just play at a rec center now, you know, I, I don't feel, you know, the pain because, I, you know, obviously I don't have to nice anymore. So I was like, you know, maybe I should have done this more because I can still, you know, dunk and do windmills and, you know, have fun. But, um, you know, you tend to forget the pain after a while and just start to remember the good, good parts about playing. It's got to be a weird feeling. I've always wondered this. You're so good. You went to the final four. You're on this team that's like 
100,000 people watching or whatever the state, I'm sure it was more like 70,000 people watching or whatever to watch you play basketball. And then just it's if you don't make it to that next NBA level or willing to play in Turkey, kind of like like uh, McCormick is doing right now, like that's just like there's no you can't just be like, I just want to play like a little bit. Now you go to the rec league to play with a bunch of guys that probably never got close to where you were. So this is this huge drop off. You, you kind of wish there was like an in-between, right? I mean, there, I mean, there is an in-between. I think uh, there, there's a lot of overseas guys, especially in Birmingham, that, uh, you know, that play. You know, I play with the UAB guys a little bit and just kind of uh, just playing. So I, I think, you know, there, there's a good bit of, of in-between. I'd say if you just go to a random rec, you know, league, you probably be over, you know, especially overmatched a little bit. Um, you know, what, one of my things that I don't like to, to do when I'm playing and I'm just not just not trying to boast, but I, I don't like to play to the point where people are not having fun playing with me, you know, because um, unless unless they make me mad or something, unless they start talking trash and I just I don't care. But, um, you know, I, I want I want people like if they're playing with me, I, I want you know, I kind of just I just want them to have fun. You know, if they want to throw me a lot, they can. But I'm not just going to go out there and just go score every point just because I can because I'm six, seven and I can do that. And I'm just going to go out there and just, you know, just have fun playing. So that, that's one thing I try to focus on now when I'm playing with people. Do you keep up with a lot of the guys that are overseas and stuff? I've, I've personally tried to DM Javon McCorn a bunch of times trying to get his jersey. I want that turkey jersey he wears. <laughs> I don't know if you, you keep up with these guys or not. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of the times I, I don't really, I, I can't really keep up with them. Even though I, I probably could more, but um, just, you know, our, our lives are going in different directions and, you know, just my, my life is a little bit, uh, you know, I watch basketball now, but I'm not as involved in, in being a basketball player. So I just think the trajectory of our lives are a little bit different and, you know, just, there's just not much uh, that, that we can relate to now than when we were on the same team. Well, I, Jackson, if you have any uh, fine kind of closing, I was just going to ask, uh, um, family's good wife kids good and then number two um if you I, want to I plug any of your videos you know yeah. any of your financial stuff i want to give you a chance to do that we have quite a few people who listen and I'm sure would love to check you out yeah no i don't i don't I, I, I mean if you want to go it's just my name but um you know okay. i don't recommend it I, I just you know it's, it's it's neither here nor there i do it because i enjoy doing it i do a lot of things in my life just because I, I just have fun doing it yeah, but yeah, I just I post videos on YouTube and um, you know, I got a, got a good business. Probably. You got you got a whole studio. You got to tell us some stuff about it. We're gonna we'll, we're gonna put on there like check out your videos and stuff. We're both in finance. So I'm very interested what you're up to. Yeah. Okay. All right. You don't have the post this part. Well, I, I guess you can. It's podcast. But, <laughs> Listen, I, we're I, all very I'm, interested, I'm, in Anthony. You're being too I'm, humble. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting it, but, um, but yeah, so after I left Auburn, one of the first things I did as soon as I, you know, um, stopped playing was I started making finance videos because I couldn't do that when I was on scholarship. And that was just something I just got interested in just probably my junior year. So I started out making videos and I don't know, I just, I just been making them ever since then. You know, I just make videos about, you know, how to build wealth, how to, you know, uh, get your credit score higher and all this stuff. And I've been posting on YouTube. So as of, as of right now, I got, let's see, uh, 33,000 subscribers over the last two years. And you know, I just, I just kind of, I post them. I, I do three videos a week and it's just, that's awesome. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's nothing fancy. I just, I just kind of just sit here talking like, um, all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm not promoting just, if you want to cut this part out, do it, but no, we're so, loving it. We're loving it. So I got, I got my, I got a Yeti microphone I use to record here and I got my, I got a camera. I was going to use this for, um, the podcast today, but, um, I decided it'll be a little overkill. And then I got another camera for a different angle here. And then back here is where my goals setting. See, I'm in my basement. You can see my uh, utility thing right there. So that's my, that's my vision board with all my goals. Uh, my planning with all my ideas and I don't know just kind of kind of this is what I do so you know just I, th I think it's important to have hobbies that that you enjoy doing you know no matter if they you know 
you know, make a ton of money or not. Just like I enjoy doing it because I'm passionate about it. And, and that's just that's just something I, I, I've done for about two years now. Oh, that's great. It's a very productive hobby. Oh, yeah. I mean, it keeps me busy. It keeps me, keeps me motivated and everything. Well, my last, my last two quick ones real quick. We've asked this of all the guests on here, uh, the two related basketball ones is, uh, first of all, what is a bigger moment to you? What is the coolest moment in the game you think is the best, biggest momentum grabber? A Cambridge dunk, an alley-oop, or a Wendell Logo 3? <laughs> I would have to go with the Logo 3. You know, it's, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for alley-oops, obviously, but, um, you know, it, it's something about that that's reminiscent of Jared Harper when, when Wendell pulls up from the Logo. <laughs> and then the other one is heat check timeouts. I'm a big proponent of heat check timeouts, but Bruce does not like to call heat check timeouts. Did he ever call them when you were there? What are your thoughts on heat check timeouts? Mm, he, BP, he wouldn't, no, he wouldn't call heat check timeout. I remember one, one game specifically, uh, we were playing against Kentucky. It might've been my sophomore year, but it, we were playing for eight minutes straight or the first seven minutes game. And as I said, you know, I'm typically two minutes in, get me out of the game or I'm done. And it was seven minutes straight. And I was exhausted. I was begging him to call a timeout, but he, he waited to coach Cal called the timeout and, you know, at that point, I, I was, you know, exhausted. So, you know, be, I, I, you know, he, he may be different. I, I don't really know how he coaches now, but, you know, I, I wouldn't expect him to call a heat check timeout. He really doesn't like to. He likes to let the guys, you know, work through it, you know, and, and I, I love his rationale. He, he did say in an interview once, you know, if I call timeout, if I'm on the road, they're just going to get crazy because they made me call timeout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And Matt, you have anything else for him? Oh, man, I'm good. Anthony, we really appreciate it. This has been so fun for us. And I know, uh, you know, some of the folks who listen to us uh, who were not that informed will, will love hearing your experiences, your opinions. So thanks for sharing the time with us. No, check out his videos. Yeah, no, uh, you, you don't have to do that. <laughs> check them out, people. Check them out. We're all going to be watching them later tonight. I mean, all right, don't do that. I mean, there's a reason why I've never posted it on Instagram or anything like that. I've never, that's because, like, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, don't. No. <laughs> but, uh, there's a basketball Anthony and then there's this Anthony. So, you know, it was always fun to bring out my, my hats and stuff. But, um, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank- Where are you going, as yeah, always? Where are you going?